This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Great pleasure to be with you. New Year's weekend. We did Christmas weekend last weekend. Didi's, thank you very much. Producer Kevin Drosh. Oh, my gosh. The gang's all here. Some of us are in New York and some of us are not. By the way, you can uh, live stream us over the internet for the full three-hour show, LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com. You can hear us throughout the country, around the world, throughout the solar system, and all the stars in the Milky Way. After three years, Actually, after 20 years of doing this show, I think we finally figured out the stars in the Milky Way. And um, we will return to work on Fox Business Tuesday, January 2nd. I can't wait, truthfully. That's uh, 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. If you can't get to us at 4, please text your favorite nine-year-old and she will show you how to DVR the show, which does play again at 7. So, uh, news, holiday weekend news. Everybody wants to keep Donald Trump off the ballot. And all it does is help him. It's really quite remarkable. All these left-wingers, Colorado, Maine, they're preparing other challenges. Trouble is... On the insurrection grounds, he was neither charged nor convicted. It's just all phony baloney. You know, I basically, um, I watched some of the commentators this past week. I had the week off. And I think really this comes from the top down. I'm just going to assert that the White House is calling the shots on this. And the uh, Justice Department, they will deny it. Of course they will. Um... Uh, Maybe some smarter political people will say, well, you're just helping Trump because it's so undemocratic. Yes, undemocratic, small d. But um, I still believe this is uh, because they don't want to talk about the issues. They don't want to talk about the economy, inflation, the border, the wars, the schools, the lack of law and order, crime. Biden will do anything to talk about. And of course, ironically, Joe Biden's the guy who talks about how MAGA is ruining democracy. Whoops. MAGA wants to keep names off the ballot. Donald Trump doesn't want to keep Joe Biden's name off the ballot. I think Trump would love to have Joe Biden's name on the ballot. Not off the ballot, on the ballot. In fact, there's an interesting interview 
at my, with my friends over at Breitbart News, a couple of hour interview, Matt Boyle and uh, Alexander Marlowe. Here's Trump. Uh, the guy can't talk. The guy can't put two sentences together. So I do think this. I cannot believe he's going to be the nominee. I hope he is, but I can't believe he's going to be the nominee. What about that? He'd like to see him on the ballot. Biden would like to see Trump off the ballot. I wonder why. We'll talk about this. We have uh, Joe Concha and Mark Simone coming on at the half hour. Spend a nice leisurely half hour with those two smart fellas talking about politics. It's interesting, too, Mr. Trump, uh, you know, I labeled him Trump tough. I mean, the nation wants strong leadership. Very, very important. Trump tough, a new slogan as Biden waffles on everything. Nation wants a strong leader. And I remember, I think we talked about this last weekend, uh, a Fox poll showed that um, people don't really care very much about Mr. Trump's uh, phony indictments coming down from the Biden Justice Department. They don't care. I mean, that's not me. Some people do care. Under a fifth seem to care about it. But that's really all you get out of that. People care about inflation, the economy, as I say, the border. The border is the biggest catastrophe right now. By the time uh, we get through into these early primaries, the border may be the number one issue in the country. And uh, it's very clear the Bidens cannot deal with that. They're for open borders. That's the left wing of the Democratic Party. They want open borders catch and release, the broadest possible definition of asylum. And Mr. Trump is more than happy to run against that since he stopped it out, by and large, stopped it out in the last 18 months of his presidency. And you see this um, group, uh, Secretary of State Blinken, DHS uh, Mayorkas, they went down and pleaded with uh, Obrador AMLO, the president of uh, Mexico, who offered no help at all. No help at all. And you think back a couple of years ago when they offered no help to Mr. Trump, who then proceeded to say, okay, I'm going to jack up your tariffs. I'm going to hit you where it hurts, right in the economy. You're making money from the cartels in fact, you're making money from this whole incredible caravan of 10,000 people a day plus crossing into the border, coming up through the south of Mexico. You're making money. Well, you're not going to keep that money because Mexico, which is our biggest exporter right now, Trump just said, I'll slap huge tariff on your manufacturers, on your cars. If that meant breaking up uh, USMCA, so be it. This is national security. This is national sovereignty. This is chaos at the border. This is drugs, sex, everything imaginable. Fentanyl, Mr. Trump said you're putting, you're infecting the blood of our country. Well, of course he's infecting the blood of our country. That's what drugs do. 
Trump had that right. The media tried to make a big deal about that. Nonsense. That's what fentanyl and opiates do. They infect the blood of the users and kill them. At least 60,000 fentanyl, maybe 100,000. Anyway, you get my point. Trump tough, threatened tariffs. Whoops. AMLO folded. Put up 35,000 soldiers, as I recall. Maybe it was 50,000. And came remain in Mexico. That plus Title 42 on health care grounds. That plus building the wall. That plus a new policy of catch and deport, not catch and release. It's, it's a perfect example of where voter priorities are going to be. Biden can't do it. Trump can do it. That's why he's popular. The first caucuses in Iowa, January 15th. He has a large lead in the polls. I know the polls aren't votes, but it's a pretty good snapshot of where thinking is in the state of Iowa. Eight days later comes New Hampshire. Mr. Trump has a hefty lead in New Hampshire, maybe not quite as large as Iowa, although a win in Iowa would probably give him a hefty lead in New Hampshire. And we'll take that as well. Nikki Haley making mistakes. She's really untested. I mean, I'm not going to spend time attacking Nikki Haley. Uh, But I think she bungled the Civil War question and slavery. Prior to that, I had mentioned uh, she was attacking rich people for their success in the economy. She talked about... um, about cutting Social Security and Medicare. Uh, The Trump people are pointing out that she increased the state gas tax in South Carolina by 60% and increased the state sales tax by 20%. Those are two big middle-class taxes. I will leave it to Nikki Haley to try to defend those positions. I'm not really interested in criticizing her. I'm just saying I think Mr. Trump's lead in the polls is... For real, we won't know until we know. So I guess I'll hedge slightly. But I think the big story here is how badly the country wants some strong leadership. That is the big story. And Mr. Trump has been on message. I think it's the principal reason. I mean, I will agree to some extent. His lead in the polls is a function of a revolt by the GOP rank and file against the two-tier justice system. The indictments in New York and Washington and Florida, now these uh, goofy disqualifications on the ballot uh, based on the so-called insurrection clause, which doesn't really apply to him. So I'm not saying that's nothing, but I think the bigger point has been all year Donald Trump has run on issues. And they're issues that really resonate with voters. Real issues. Rising prices, low employment. Unemployment is low, but a lot of people have dropped out of the labor force. Affordability in the economy is low. I'm not going to deny, Mr. Biden, that the inflation rate year to year has gone from roughly 9% to 3 or 4. I don't deny that. 
but consumer prices are up just short of 20% in the past three years since Biden took office. Gasoline prices have come down, but they're up about a buck and a quarter from where they were when Mr. Trump left uh, the presidency. Affordability means, for the most part, price increases have outstripped wages. Actually, wages haven't moved. Wages have not moved for the past three years. They're actually, real wages are down just less than 4%. Now, in recent months, I will grant, that's data, I may not be objective, empirical, in recent months, wages have beat prices. But for the most part, since uh, January 2021, wages have fallen about 4% below prices. That's affordability. And mortgage rates have come down over a percentage point for home buying, but they're still you know, several percentage points above where they were when uh, Mr. Biden took office. Grocery prices up over 20%. So those are the issues. And the border, which is complete chaos and an embarrassment. Those are the two biggest issues right now. And the border issue reaches deep. The border issue becomes a law and order issue, becomes a crime issue, becomes a health issue. And this is what folks are going to be voting on at least in the early primary states. We'll see what happens over the course of this coming year, whether new issues pop up. Is Mr. Biden standing tough behind Israel? We'll see. Mr. Biden has um, appeased Iran. More and more people seem to care about that as the Houthis and other terrorists take aim at U.S. military assets in the Middle East. As the Red Sea is choked off, where's our response? Israel just bombed the Syrian airport, took out 11 Iranians, as far as I can read. I'm reading the New York Post this morning. We didn't do it. The United States didn't do it. Israel did it. Shows they're tough. So these are issues. I think people want a strong leader right now to right the ship. That's what they want. The stock market has been good. We'll talk some about that. Experts were wrong about this year, including myself. It was a much better market than I would have expected. Of course, I'm always long the spiders, so I'm thrilled with the market performance. But all the headlines the last uh, two days in the Wall Street Journal about how uh, everybody guessed wrong. Wall Street was wrong. It was a great market. So that's good. And I hope uh, 125 million people made some money in the stock market this year. But that doesn't guarantee this coming year. And if the economy was stronger this year than expected, that doesn't guarantee this coming year. We'll get to all that when we do our stock market work later in the show. But right now, I'll begin by saying all these phony, disqualifying lawsuits against Trump just help Trump. But most of all, people want a strong leader, a steadfast leader to get us out of this quagmire to get us out of this mess, to right the ship at home, on the border, and overseas. 
Trump tough, I'm calling it. Let's take a break. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. So I want to read you... um, very interesting. I'm going to talk about this with uh, Mark Simone and Joe Concha at the half hour. Uh, my friend uh, John Solomon, who runs the great website Just the News, he interviewed Trump, and Trump is going to argue. This is so interesting. Trump is plotting an all-out campaign to convince the American electorate that Democrats are in fact the fringe party so out of touch with main street usa that they opened the borders to millions of illegals and deadly fentanyl enriched iran's terror machine put biological men and women's sports and locker rooms and advocated for abortion on demand we're going to bring our country back from hell mr trump said to john solomon it's in hell in hell Not one thing has gotten better under crooked Joe Biden. Anyway, this is the new Trump theme. I'm not going to say it's brand new, but I think his emphasis is going to be new. And he's, of course, nailing Biden to the wall on on key issues. And these uh, crazy uh, states, I guess Colorado and Maine, there may be others, a bunch of states have... uh, have uh, rejected this uh, disqualification business. But in any event, it undermines Biden's whole idea that, you know, MAGA is destroying democracy. And Trump's going to take advantage of that. This is a major blunder. This uh, crazy whack job in Maine, Secretary of State's not even a lawyer. It's not even in the courts. I mean, if you're 35 years old and you're and a citizen, you can run for president. That's it. But without getting into too many legal details now, we'll talk about it with Brett Tolman, former prosecutor, later in the show. The point is, Donald Trump has got a lot of openings here against Joe Biden just on the democracy issue itself, much less all the others. Anyway, we got Concha. We got Simone. Just stick around after this uh, quick news break. I'm Kudlow. It's New Year's weekend, folks. Be happy. Things are looking up. Trust me on this. Keep the faith and the hope. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. 
from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Two of my favorite, favorite broadcasters, TV and radio. Nice leisurely half hour about politics. We got Joe Concha, columnist at The Messenger and a Fox News contributor and the author of Come On Man, The Truth About Biden's No Good, Horrible, Very Bad Presidency and How to Return America to Greatness and Mark Simone, radio host, 710 WOR, weekdays from 10 a.m. to 12 noon, recently nominated to the Radio Hall of Fame and recently polled the second most listened to Midday radio show, soon to be number one when the other chap retires. Gentlemen, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Mark Simone, January 15th, Iowa caucuses. I don't know, Nikki Haley's self-destructing. She's taking Chris Christie down with her, almost with this flap over the Civil War and slavery. She almost made did the impossible, almost made Ron DeSantis look good. Who's going to win the Iowa caucuses, Mark Simone? Uh, Donald Trump uh, very easily. And that should be the end of Ron DeSantis. He was putting everything into Iowa. Uh, if he doesn't have an impressive showing there, there is no reason for him to continue. And, and Nikki Haley, we, we could argue whether she's qualified to be governor of a, a state, whether she's qualified to be U.N. ambassador. But there's no argument about the presidency. She's just simply not qualified for that, not ready for that. It's way beyond her management abilities. And as we saw this past week, uh, it, she's just not ready for it. She's uh, too many mistakes too early in the campaign. Not many. Not ready for prime time. I mean, no. you can't bungle that. You can't bungle that question. You can, with the well, whole world up there in Iowa, you just cannot bungle the question. Uh, what were the causes I, I, of the Civil I, War? I understand what the bungling was. You know, for decades, that's what Southern governors have always used as a way to spin the Civil War. They always say it was about freedom. It was about uh, how to run the government. It, it, it was a cover-up. Just They never wanted to say it was about slavery. But for her to repeat that uh, just means she's stuck with all those regional beliefs in her head, which you have to get rid of. Yeah, you know, uh, Joe Concha, um, that's... Were you surprised that she bungled that question? In front of in my, what she did was for you know I guess about two days maybe longer people are still talking about it right when some pundits not you guys necessarily but some pundits were saying that she was creeping up in the polls I mean not ready for prime how can you bungle that Joe It's like asking somebody guys are you against cancer Yeah <laughs> I don't like cancer cancer's bad. We really need to defeat cancer. What bothers me about this whole thing is the Civil War was, what, 160 years ago? And all the things happening in this country right now, as far as inflation, it's still 250% higher than it was when, when Trump left office. Violent crime through the roof, driving people out of places like New York and San Francisco and Chicago. The border is wide open. It is a national security catastrophe that's happening there right now. And the next 9-11 will most likely come through the southern border as far as these cells forming in the United States. Education scores, I got kids, 30-year low ACT test scores. We got two wars going on. The, war, the world seems like it's on fire, and we keep focusing on race. And, and if Haley just could have answered that question pretty simply, like, yes, of course it was about slavery, but also I think it was about this. It's not a controversy anymore. But either way, now it's, 
it, it's it's to the point where Donald Trump and we've talked about this for months. And I know, and I'm will, willing to admit because I'm, I'm I don't take myself remotely seriously. I thought that Ron DeSantis really had a shot uh, when if you talked to me a year ago as far as winning this nomination because Trump seemed so toxic and he was coming off a huge victory in Florida. But Mark's right. After Iowa, he will drop out because the donors are going away. Then it comes down to New Hampshire, and I thought that Haley at least had a puncher's chance there if there were less candidates in the race. This now, to both your points, not ready for prime time, and people are giving her a second look and saying, yeah, no, this is Trump's to lose, and he should basically wrap this up, I would think, by March at the latest April. Mark, was it a plant, a Democratic plant? (laughs) (laughs) Even if it were a plant, she's supposed to answer it. Uh, it could have been a plant because she has a history of uh, problems in that area. There's an old video of her a few years ago defending the right to dis- display the Confederate flag and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. And then uh, a couple of days later, there's a question from a little kid in the audience about uh, all of her flip-flops on a mm-hmm. million different issues. And she says, you're the new John Kerry. Mm-hmm. So the fact that two happened in one week, it could have been a plant. I don't know from who, but from somebody. Um, I want to ask you this very interesting uh, interview in uh, John Solomon with John Solomon, Just the News, very good website uh, with Trump. And I just want to read you. I I teased it in my opening. Uh, Trump told Just the News in an interview this week that he's plotting an all out uh, campaign to convince the American electorate that Democrats are, in fact, the fringe party so out of touch with Main Street USA, opened the borders to millions of illegals and deadly Mm -hmm. fentanyl, enriched Iran's terror machine, put biological men and women's sports and locker rooms, advocated for abortion on demand. It goes on to say, um, Trump believes the extremism debate is a winner, that Biden will regret his own infamous Philadelphia speech, that was the democracy speech, by the time next November rolls around. Uh, Joe Biden is not the defender of American democracy, says Trump. Joe Biden is the destroyer of American democracy. It's him and his people. Bidenomics and Democratic Party policies are the wreckers of the American dream that made food and energy unaffordable with inflation and home ownership unattainable with high interest rates. In other words, um, I'll give you both wax out because it's very important. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mark Simone, start with you. Trump is going to make the Bidens, Biden and his Democrats, the party of extremism. Now, that's a very interesting turn of the screw. Well, Trump is brilliant at branding. Uh, Go back to Jeb Bush. How do you attack him? Uh, Low energy Jeb. That one phrase just branded him. And Democrats as the fringe party is brilliant because they really are. What is a fringe party? It's usually whoever's the most socialist, the most Soviet. Well, that's clearly the Democrats now. Uh, And it's happened before. Uh, Years ago when uh, Bush was running, the Democratic brand got ruined and they started calling themselves progressives. And now Mm. that's got a bad stink to it. So they're going to have to call themselves something else. Also, every argument Joe Biden ran on that he was a uniter. Well, that's obviously gone. That he was a decent man. Well, that's obviously gone. Uh, and everything they want to run on. They can't run on January 6th because they allow a January 6th every day at the southern border. So I, I think there's nothing for them to run on anymore. Yeah, Joe Concha, your point and your column is if Joe Biden wants to rebut these charges, 
just hold a year-end press conference, which, of course, he won't do. He's in St. Croix in the Virgin Islands. Go ahead, straighten out the record. But he won't do that, Joe. And he complains about his press coverage. That's that's the most hilarious part. So you're not reporting on the economy properly. Do your job right. Okay, then get in front of some microphones and answer questions from the press. Every president, Republican, Democrat, has a year-end press conference. And for him to say, nope, not going to do it, and then he runs off. I, I can't believe what I saw earlier this week. He returned from one vacation for one day to go on another vacation. All right, And here's your stat of the day, guys. Joe Biden spent 40% of his presidency on vacation. The average American spends an average of 14 days on vacation per year. Joe Biden has spent more than 140 days on mm. vacation. And if he's the local golf starter, all right, at the local club, <laughs> all right, that's fine. Show up for work a couple of days, sit back, relax. He's the commander-in-chief of the greatest country in the world, and he's on vacation 10 times more than the citizens that he actually represents. So answer questions and get to work, for the love of God, please. I would look respect at, him a little bit if that would happen. Look at us. We're working. It's New Year's weekend. We yes. work. We work Christmas weekend. Why can't this guy work? <laughs> Larry, I'm hosting a party at my house tonight. I'm leaving in the middle of it to go on Fox for my basement because I agreed to it like three weeks ago to join John Scott on Fox Reports. So yeah, I don't. I like work. The president should too if he cared about the country. <clears throat> Mark Simone, this extremism charge though, this is a very interesting development. He's turning the tables. And, Mark, I can only reckon that these um, disqualification efforts on some of these crazy state ballots uh, from crazy secretaries of state or whatever, local courts, this is going to help Trump. I mean, this really turns the table, Mark. This is probably the worst thing that Joe Biden could encounter. On top of everything else that you guys have mentioned, this one's really going to hurt. Well, he should take all this as a real compliment. Uh, it's just a tribute to him that they're, they're forced yes. to try to do this stuff. They're, right. they're not trying to remove Ron DeSantis from the ballot. They're not trying to arrest <laughs> Nikki Haley. <laughs> so, uh, and if, if you said extremists running the country, well, what would that look like? It would probably look like migrants all over the streets, the criminals being released from jail, no border. So it really is an extremist party. It, it, it's a legitimate charge. Yeah, <clears throat> he's called out the sinister forces of the Democratic Party and their allies in the media for generating public safety by releasing violent felons, defunding police departments, staging an insecure order to transform American cities into socialist dumping grounds for criminals, junkies, Marxists, thugs, radicals, and dangerous refugees that no other country wants. Then he goes on to say, Americans are going to get sick. These are diseases that are easily catchable by people, and it's a terrible thing. But they're also coming from prisons and jails and being emptied out, mental institutions. That's tough stuff, Joe. I mean, that's very tough stuff, and um, it's backed up by a certain amount of factoids. Common sense stuff, right? Like these yeah. things are all bad, right? Yeah. And these are things that the Democratic Party is pushing and advocating. So if Trump stays on message, and he has trouble with that sometimes, he's not the most disciplined guy in the world. I get that he's raw and people like that, but just hammer home four or five points around the economy, spending, the border, energy, 
foreign policy and crime, if you just stick to that and boom, boom, boom for the next 300 days, and that's how many days until the election, about 309 to be exact, he wins, and he wins quite easily because in the states that matter, right now he's up. Joe Biden's only going to get worse with age, and these issues are only going to get worse as we go into 2024. And if he just stays on that point, those points, I don't see how he loses, quite frankly. Yeah, painting Biden as the extremist, Mark. That's a very, you're right. That's a complete reversal of tables. I think it's very, very clever. Uh, folks, let's uh, take a quick break when I come back, because Trump said some other interesting things in a Breitbart interview and elsewhere. Folks, we're talking to Joe Concha, columnist at The Messenger and Fox News contributor, author of his book, Come On, Man, The Truth About Biden's No Good, Horrible, etc., etc., Very Bad Presidency. And Mark Simone, radio host at 710 WOR, weekdays, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., Radio Hall of Fame. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're talking to Joe Concha, columnist at The Messenger and Fox News contributor and author of Come On, Man, The Truth About Biden's No Good, Horrible, Very Bad Presidency, and Mark Simone, radio host for 710 WOR, weekdays, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., recently nominated to the Radio Hall of Fame and the second most listened to midday radio host. So uh, here's another one. Mark, start with you, I guess. Breitbart interview, Matt Boyle and Alex Marlowe, two friends. Trump says ain't going to be Biden, and it's not going to be Kamala. He says uh, when you compare him today to 15 or 20 years ago, he's a different kind of guy. The guy can't talk. The guy can't put two sentences together. So I do this. I cannot believe he's going to be the nominee. I hope he is, but I can't believe he's going to be the nominee. Those are quotes from uh, from uh, Donald Trump to Breitbart. First of all, what do you make of that, Mark Simone? I mean, before you even get to who else, is it, I don't know, mechanically possible to stop Biden now? Oh, absolutely. They'll do uh, what happened in 1968 with Lyndon Johnson. Early uh, this coming year, he'll announce he's not seeking re-election. Then they'll have primaries. Kamala Harris will just bomb out in the primary. That gets rid of her. And they'll do what they did last time. They'll have primaries, try out all their candidates. When they decide who they like, they'll order everybody else out of the race, like they did in South Carolina, and hand it to whoever they want. I, I just, I, I think it'll happen in two months, three months. But they disqualified all the other candidates, even without insurrection. They won't let any of these guys run. <laughs> well, there's a bit of a bench. There's some governors they like. They'll always they'll throw Elizabeth Warren back in, and they'll try Pete Buttigieg and a few people in the cabinet. Oh, oh wouldn't I love that? God, I forgot about Buttigieg. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Joe Concha, can you improve on that? Pete Buttigieg? Holy cow. I, I love the way Trump would explain to people how to pronounce Buttigieg. <laughs> Buttigieg! <laughs> Edge, edge. You got to say edge, edge. So just for that reason alone, I would love to see uh, uh, Mayor Pete versus Trump. That that would be very interesting. Uh, look, I, I don't see how they go ahead with Joe Biden at this point. I mean, I, I, I wrote a column that's going to be uh, on the messenger tomorrow, and I, and I couldn't believe what I was writing. Biden is polling so bad that his disapproval number is higher than his approval number in the following states, California, 
Illinois, New York, and New Jersey. When you're really? underwater in the deepest of blue states, huh. I mean, you're looking at the kind of landslide. And I get there's an anti-Trump vote that's out there, and they'll vote for what, – what did uh, De Niro say? That he would vote for Joe Biden's corpse before he would vote for Donald Trump. There are people like that out there. But overall, I, I think people – they ultimately vote with their wallets. They vote for safer communities. They don't like these perpetual wars. They certainly don't like what's going on at the border. But uh, you're looking at like a kind of Reagan-Mondale <laughs> – situation at this point. Huh. If Biden's actually underwater in those kind of blue states, I'm not saying he loses them, uh, but I'm saying that that is the sentiment right now that where even Democrats are like, we can't this guy, no thanks. I don't want to see the 86-year-old version of this guy in the Oval Office, let alone the 81-year-old version. I guess the question is, how do you insert somebody? Mark's theory is pretty good. Or maybe at the, the convention, they, they tell the delegates, okay, you're going to back Michelle Obama now, right? And they all do that. And then the media cheers it on because she's going to save democracy. Because that's how they could get away with it, I guess. I always figured the convention that they would, most of those delegates uh, are centrally controlled anyway. So I just figured it would be the convention, Mark. You're saying an all-out war in the primaries, but I think that can't the DNC keep Biden off the ballot? I mean, keep Biden opponents off the ballot in these primaries? Well, the reason you want to do the primaries, Kamala would enter the primaries, lose badly, and that's how they get rid of her. To just pull her off the ticket huh. uh, is a tough thing to do. Uh, all these things we're talking about, Biden's problems, the issues against him, the arguments against him, once they get rid of Biden, all those arguments are gone. They'll just say that was him. This, this is not us now. That was all his fault. Mm. And they'll get a new candidate. It won't be Michelle Obama. That's just a rumor started by the donors who always get it wrong. So it's not going to be her. Elizabeth Warren would be very tough. To <laughs> beat? I know she's a socialist, but she's a smart socialist. The trouble with Biden is he's a dumb socialist. I don't even know what he believes in. Well, I, I just think they'll, they'll go with somebody younger, more Bidenish, a puppet they can control. That's why I like Buttigieg for the job. Well, that's Gavin Newsom. Come on. Yeah. Kim Guilfoyle's former husband. Yeah, that yeah, might like be Gavin problem. Newsom lately. At least he said that Trump should be on the ballot in California. Like, what's the wrong? He'll surprise you with some yes. things. No, <laughs> you know? he, he bombed in that debate with DeSantis. I was surprised. He's better than that. He's very articulate. He would surely jump in. Surely from California. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I mean, I don't understand the Democratic Party. I was a Democrat, but that was like 55 years ago. Well, I'm writing a book about this, actually, called Progressively Worse, uh, Why the Democratic Party is Not Your Daddy's Donkeys. And uh -huh. in researching this, guys, I mean, you look at John F. Kennedy. He was Trump. You know, he cut taxes yes. boldly. Yes. And then the, the, the economy, remember, Kennedy came into office uh, in a recession, and the mm -hmm. economy took off, and he beefed up the military, and he didn't believe in racial quotas and affirmative action. You're like, this guy would never sniff the Democratic nomination now, right? And so even Clinton and Obama... You yeah, better cite my book. You better cite my book, JFK and the Reagan Revolution. That's what my book is all about. 2016. Really? Yeah, wrote a whole book. What do I look it. like? Claudine Gay? I'm going to steal from you? No, that's not <laughs> happening, baby. But I, I will read that, though. I didn't. That's going to be done. Yeah, no, I wrote, whole, Claudine, they call her. I wrote a whole book about it with uh, Brian Dimitrovich. Um, did pretty well, too, for a while. It was in 2016. But you're right. Kennedy was a conservative Democrat. The Democrat I worked for last, Mark Simone, was um, Pat Moynihan. I was a researcher uh, part-time because I was still working on Wall Street. This was um, when he first ran in, seven, in 17, 1976. Remember, he worked for Nixon. He worked for Ford. 
He also worked for LBJ and JFK. That's your Democrats' old donkey party. They don't have any of them around anymore. No, and he was brilliant. He was a great intellectual. He was lofty. He'd, he'd have no place in politics today. There'd be no no room for him in today's he could, Congress. He could be the president of Harvard. That's yeah. what I think. Mark Simone, <laughs> Joe Concha, you guys are fabulous. Happy New Year. Really, Happy thanks New Year. for helping out. You're terrific, wonderful people. Folks, we'll take a break, and then uh, General Keith Kellogg's going to come on and tell us why the United States won't go after Iran, but Israel is. I'm Kudlow, New Year's weekend. Keep the faith, folks. Keep the faith and the hope. It's going to be okay. Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Now we're going to get to Michael Falkender, economist extraordinaire, professor of finance at the University of Maryland Business School, uh, chief economist of America First Policy Institute, former assistant secretary of the Treasury for economic policy. Michael, happy new year. Happy new year, buddy. Happy new year to you, Larry. It's great to talk to you. So uh, I keep reading about how good the Biden economy is. And so I immediately thought of you. I thought of you and Kevin Hassett um, <laughs> and Hart Laffer and a few others as well. Joe Biden says the media should cover the economy properly. All right. Of course, if he'd have a press conference, maybe he could cover the economy properly. But what's your take on the economy? It was, I think, in fairness, a surprisingly good year getting the inflation rate down from roughly 9% to a little over 3 and avoiding recession, all right? It was a resilient economy. What does Mike Falkinger say about all that? I, I would tend to agree with you. You know, the Fed did come in and raise interest rates rather significantly. They came in late, right? They, they should have started much earlier, but the economy was uh, stronger and was able to take those rate cuts better than than a lot of us feared. Uh, it seems like there was a lot more willingness for people to spend down the savings they accumulated during the pandemic and start putting money on credit cards than I think a number of us thought that they would be willing to. You know, the, my read on the year at the beginning of the year <clears throat> was that people would see that their wages are not keeping up with inflation, that they were spending through their pandemic savings, and that they would have to pull back. Mm. And instead of pulling back, they exhausted it and threw money on credit cards. And so, you know, we this year saw aggregate credit card debt exceed a trillion dollars for the first time ever. So I don't know how sustainable it is. The, the other thing is um, we probably underestimated the extent of the deficit spending that was going on by the government. You know, we normally focus on the private side of the economy. But as you and I have been talking about recently, what has sustained the economy the last few months is the government side. The hiring is on the government side. The spending is on the government side. So there's, there's, been, there's been a lot, again, unsustainable deficit spending that has temporarily propped up the economy. But none of this is sustainable. Poured a lot of money in uh, last winter and early spring with the Silicon Valley bank scare. Remember? Fed poured a lot yeah. of money in, three, $400 billion, maybe more. Uh, I think they soaked it up, Michael, based on their 
uh, balance sheet monetary base, but I think that was a stimulant. But it's an interesting point. Um, the deficit is still going to come in, I think. I don't know what your guesstimate is, but uh, it's going to come in around $2 trillion. That's a big That's right. budget deficit with an unemployment rate below you know, 4%, at least in traditional uh, Keynesian terms. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of spending still continues. I guess I'm asking you, what do you think happens in 2024? Okay, we need to peer into our uh, collective crystal balls. Well, you know, Larry, first, let me just say, uh, I, I kind of feel like writing an op-ed that says nobody's a Keynesian anymore because, uh, you know, during crises, there's a saying, we're all Keynesians now because it's this justification to go out and engage in massive government spending. Well, if you follow the Keynesian view, which I don't, but under the Keynesian view, a 4% unemployment rate environment and, you know, a couple percent of GDP growth, which is what we got in the second half of, of this year, that is not a time to be running massive budget deficits. Keynesianism would tell you that's the time to be running surpluses. Hmm. And so it's always interesting to see how Keynesianism is pulled out when it's time to justify government spending, and then we completely ignore that when we want to keep the spending spigots going. In terms of the forecast for 2024, um, I, I still look on it that there is some interest rate effects that the, um, that the consumer has not fully felt. There is a lot of liquidity out in the banking sector, as you said. The Fed re-injected a bunch during the Silicon Valley Bank piece. There's a lot of reserves out there that can still be sopped up. But I do worry that as the government continues to run these massive deficits that are largely, again, coming out of the repo market and coming out of bank reserves, when that money gets exhausted, are we going to have a problem with interest rates in the bond market? That's potentially problematic to sustain the economy. Um, but at the same time, you know, our, our friend, um, our friend Mickey Levy had an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week saying the Fed's not going to get politicized. I normally agree with Mickey. I, 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 I'm not sure I agree with him on this one. Mm. Uh, I really worry that you saw that, that Jerome Powell was unwilling to start raising rates because he was more worried about getting renominated than he was in bringing the uh, bring, keeping inflation from getting out of control, and I look at the governors that are on the Fed today, and I, with a, with a couple of exceptions, I I I do think that they're going to want Biden to get reelected, and so even though the dot plot of the most recent economic projections of the Fed came out with only three rate cuts next year, the market's pricing in seven, mm. right? And Which so insanity. that would be yes. But they would be temporarily stimulative, get through the election. But, you know, these unsustainable well, budget deficits, unsustainable monetary policy, unsustainable regulatory and energy policy, all of this is eventually going to come home to roost. I mean, Kevin Hassett made the same point. Uh, I was off last week, but the week before, um, he made the same point that the risk was a Democratic biased Fed would juice up the economy to reelect uh Joe Biden. On the other hand, I think the Fed has done a pretty good job uh, bringing their interest rates up and the money supply down. They brought bank reserves down. You know, those are classic counterinflationary moves. I mean, I think the lopsided policy, uh, Michael, is still uh, excessive spending and, yeah. and borrowing. But, you know, another point, I don't want to let it slip. 
uh, we've been in a manufacturing recession. I mean, you look at the industrial production numbers and the manufacturing numbers, and they've been negative. I mean, the year-to-year -year change is negative. Um, and as you said earlier, it's mostly government and consumption, consumers borrowing to spend. Housing may be bottoming out, I don't know. Uh, the housing recession may be bottoming out, I'm not sure. But it's been a kind of lopsided economy. It has. If you look at the four sectors where we've seen the job growth, it's been government, it's been health care, it's been social services, and then leisure and hospitality. Right. It has not been the manufacturing side and some of those more uh, durable parts of the private sector economy that we generally look towards as bringing about productivity improvements because as mm -hmm. we talked many times, it's productivity improvements that provide real wage growth. And that ultimately is the disconnect that the Bidens have with the American people. They think it's about the unemployment rate. It's not. It's about affordability. And mm -hmm. if at the end of the day, the American worker today is still 3% behind in terms of what an hour of work will buy for themselves, mm -hmm then Joe Biden's going to continue to struggle to convince the American people that he has been a strong economic steward. So that's a point. That's a Recent months, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but recent months, uh, average hourly earnings have beaten price increases, but that's just the last couple months. Over three mm -hmm. years, over three years, um, I think uh, real wages have fallen, what, over 3%. Yes, correct. And yeah. also, why have they done a little bit better the last couple of months? It's because energy prices have come down. Yes. I don't think anybody can plausibly argue that the decline in energy prices is the result of Biden administration policy. It's despite Biden mm. administration policy. So, yes, we can look at a couple of months and say we've seen real wage growth, but that's it's hard I don't think anybody can credibly argue that that's a result of Biden administration policy if once you decompose the inflation number and see that it's primarily coming from drops in energy prices. But somebody please point to me and show me what Biden administration policy is bringing down energy prices. I mean, the only one that I've heard somewhat argued is that they're not enforcing sanctions on Iran anymore. And as a result of that, the Iranians are selling a bunch of oil into the global oil market, and that's bringing down the global price of oil. I don't think that that's the type of energy policy that we're advocating. <laughs> yeah, not even the Chinese are buying that much oil. I mean, deflation still coming out of China's badly well, managed uh, economy. It's an interesting take. So um, the index of leading indicators falling 20 straight months um, – I don't know whether that model still works or not. It used to work, but it's not a good signal. It's not. And, and again, I think it's because that that measures what we might think of as the more the private sector economy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, a lot of the growth I think we're going to see in Q4 is, is government-induced. That's certainly where the hiring is taking place. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got an economy that's being goosed up on the government side, then I think a traditional metric like the index of leading indicators probably misses some of that. So we we could muddle through. We could muddle through without a recession, but it's probably not going to. I mean, I think growth in uh, growth in 23 will be about three percent. 
And that's, I'm going to give Biden, I mean, look, he'll take credit for it, whether I give it to him or not. But that's a good number. <laughs> growth, growth in 22, I don't know what it was, but it was, it was, uh, you had a recession in the first half of 22. Yep. So we had yep. an inflationary recession uh, and then a disinflationary recovery. I guess that's the, that's part of the story anyway. Yeah. 24, though, you know, going into it, there are, there are headwinds. Again, a lot of the, a lot of his regulatory policies are still being mm-hmm. held. There's some lags in terms of interest rate policy. Um, if you look at a big contributor to the GDP number last quarter was an inventory buildup. That's, right. that's transitory. Mm-hmm. Oh, I shouldn't use that word. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, and I, I haven't looked at the exact timing of how much the CHIPS Act or the infrastructure bill has a bunch more government spending going into the economy over the next little while. But I, So I don't know how much government spending is going to be able to continue on the clip that it's been on. But at the same time, you know, you see the Biden Treasury Department telling the states, hey, we've still got leftover COVID money. You know, we're oh. going to extend the deadline for you to apply oh. for it. Oh, so, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Mike Falkender, let's cut taxes and deregulate. Happy New Year, my friend. Thanks for all your contributions. Folks, take a quick break. And former OMB budget director under Donald Trump, Mr. Russell Vogt, is going to tell us how Trump might be able to balance the budget. I'm Kudlow. Happy New Year's. Larry Kudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We've talked sporadically about what uh, a second term for President Trump might uh, bring. And so far as economic policies, we always talk about tax cuts and deregulation and tough on trade and a number of other things. But there's a few more kernels that are worth looking at. And we bring in my great friend, Russell Vogt. He's a former director of the Office of Management and Budget during the Trump administration. He is now president of the Center for Renewing America. First of all, Russ, you and Mary, Happy New Year's. Thanks for coming on. Happy New Year, Larry. Good to be on your show and hearing your voice. Yeah, no, I've been bereft. We haven't had you on the TV or the radio, but your your time is coming. You know, Russ, I wrote a piece, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago, talked about it on the air. um, And I mentioned, in addition to taxes and regulations and trade, I mentioned two things. Nobody picked up on it, made me think about you. Number one, I think there's a very good chance President Trump, if he's reelected, would go for at least what we used to call budget impoundment, uh, executive orders for budget impoundment, uh, which would take unused funds. You know more about this than I would, uh, but if it's not being spent properly, take it off the books. And then I want to get to tenured civil service. But I remember the Nixon battles long, long time ago over budget impoundment. My former boss, Ronald Reagan, talked about budget impoundment, never got far with Congress. Uh, Russ, if I'm not mistaken, you've talked about budget impoundment and how it could be used as an important uh, economic growth weapon. No, Larry, you're right on on mark. I mean, President Trump's already put out a a video on this, one of his speeches uh, articulating what I believe wholeheartedly, and that is as a budget expert, I believe the loss of executive impoundment 
by the president and his administration that presidents for 200 years from Jefferson really began its use to Richard Nixon when it was taken away at the lowest moment of the executive branch's power uh, has been the original sin for our inability to control spending. And that's fundamentally because at that moment you lost the separation of powers. And so what had been a carefully balanced power of the purse, which was meant to set a ceiling, became an all-important cudgel to spend up to uh, a floor. And as a result, we have things like use it or lose it, where you go around every agency and you wonder, why do we have this epidemic of uh, in need of flat screen TVs and copy machines at the end of the fiscal year? It's because there's this pressure that Congress said you must spend every dollar that we have spent. And the president has lost his ability throughout the year to say, no, I don't I don't think we need this funding. We're going to do it cheaper and we're going to do it in a different way than, than you've prescribed. One example could be just a few moments ago in the prior segment, uh, our friend Mike Falkender noted that the Bidens are still want to spend out COVID money, unused COVID money, Russell vote. Now, would that be a candidate for impoundment? Of course. I mean, anytime you've got a place where, you know, events have transpired to to take away the need for the spending and Congress just hasn't simply caught up. You are squarely in the in in the area of impoundment. Other things like foreign aid, where you're talking about the the president's constitutional role uh, mm. as commander in chief or the chief diplomat of the country. Uh, these are these are these are no brainer areas that uh, even we were starting to pioneer. Quite frankly, in the first administration, the 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 president had never come out and said as as publicly as he has now said, "I don't like the Impoundment Control Act. I think it's unconstitutional." We're going to challenge it in court. We're going to challenge it legislatively. And we're going to challenge it from the standpoint of uh, as an independent uh, uh, actor constitutionally who takes swears and oaths to the Constitution to say these are the areas where we think uh, it doesn't apply. And we're going to we're going to use our discretion not to spend money. What do you do with stuff? Uh, I mean, this is something that interests me a lot. I think it'd be a very useful uh, budget tool, budget weapon. So you have this um, uh, misnamed Inflation Reduction Act that piles on all these green energy subsidies, Russ. But a lot of these subsidies were so poorly defined that they basically had no ceilings. I mean, I've seen estimates by Penn Wharton and other uh, so-called independent observers where there wouldn't be hundreds of billions that would come to trillions because there's no time limits to these subsidies and there's no actual amounts tied to these subsidies. Now, maybe that would be a candidate for budget impoundment. Definitely. And and there you have a I don't even think Congress would dispute it when when they when they've written laws and and on the on the we call it the direct side of the house, the mandatory side hmm. in such a way uh that it gives you total ability and discretion on the on the executive branch uh side of of Pennsylvania Ave, there is no debate whatsoever as to whether you can pull that money in or and 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 reduce it so um you, even if that just means you're you know you're sitting on it for, for for quite some time and you you saw the things that we were doing um we had many of those policy conversations about ways to uh lower the cost of prescription drugs or any, mm-hmm. anything in that in that world of of using the laws that congress has passed 
when they've basically said you're going we're we're, we're going to we're going to have you write the laws for us well mm-hmm. that gives the executive branch more ability to not spend money as well but this is really important this debate this this conversation cuz the president has put something out that you know no one has talked about since the 1970s and and you know in in that time period and conservatives hated it at the time and as a result you know over time they've 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 gotten their eye off the ball mm-hmm. and they said like this this no longer has merit but it's an important tool and i really believe it would change fundamentally the balance of power back to what the constitution had in mind yeah absolutely well I'm raising it. Um, Russ, in the remaining time, there's another issue out there, and that is reforming the civil service. Tenured civil service reminds me of the tenured left-wing faculty at Harvard. Um, <laughs> you've got, you know, you've got these people with permanent positions. Um, they may or may not be answerable to what the president's own policy goals are, policy directives are. And from time to time, people have talked about reform. I don't have to, just give me a quick 30 seconds, Russ. 30 seconds. This is one of the main places that the, the administrative state wields power. And there are ways to go at it to make it more like at-will employment, which the rest of the country understands and knows. And this would be vital to getting a handle on the country and saving it from the left. Yeah. No tenure deep state. We're going to talk some more about this uh, on the TV and radio. Russell Vote. Former OMB director under President Trump, President Center for Renewing America. Happy New Year, everybody. Stock market work on the other side of the break. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Folks, I'm Larry Kudlow. Happy New Year. This is our New Year's weekend show. We did Christmas weekend. We're doing New Year's weekend. We love doing radio here on WABC Radio. You can catch us, by the way, back at work. I've been off all week on TV, but back at work Tuesday, Fox Business, 4 to 5 p.m. every day. Name of the show is Kudlow. And here you can live stream us on the radio LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com, throughout the country, all around the globe, and the solar system, and all the stars in the Milky Way. And we're optimistic. Keep the faith. Happy New Year. It's always great. A clean slate. Well, not exactly a clean slate, but you know, we're going to do some stock market work. Stock market work. And this is going to be the most fun I've ever had because we had a roaring bull market in stocks this year. Who to thunk it? And I'm going to read you some headlines before we get to our distinguished guests. Even though I was off this week doing some uh, research, Wall Street Journal front page. What did Wall Street get right about markets this year? Not much. <laughs> U.S. stocks end a topsy turvy year near records, defying bearish predictions. And then another one, Wall Street Journal front page. How I. And everyone else got 2023 so wrong. No, that was not me. It was actually Wall Street Journal columnist James McIntosh. And then he says, to invest wisely in 2024, we have to decide while the economy defied expectations. Good question. The Cudlow Trust did well because I'm always long the spiders and uh, related indexes, but I don't think... uh, 
I don't think I was near close to expecting this kind of bull market. One more from Bloomberg. Let's see. Wall Street's major calls. Three calls. Sell U.S. stocks, buy treasuries, buy Chinese stocks. Form the consensus view on Wall Street. Then came 2023. I've never seen the consensus is wrong, said Mr. Andrew Pease, the chief investment strategist at Russell Investments, which oversees around $290 billion in assets. When I look at the sell side, he said, everyone got burned. All right, enough fun. <laughs> Let us bring in our distinguished New Year guest, Nancy Tangler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Laffer Tangler Investments, best-selling book, The Women's Guide to Successful Investing, and my dear friend Jim Urio, Director of TJM Institutional Services. Kids just having fun, but I think we're all in the same boat, more or less, maybe more, maybe less. First of all, Happy New Year to both of you, and I will begin with Jim Urio. <laughs> What what do you make of 2023? I want to get to 24, but let's talk about 23 because it was one heck of an amazing year. Let's see. The S&P was up 24%, the Nasdaq up 43%, the Dow Jones up 14%. I'm rounding up. Mr. Urio, what do you make of it? Okay, well, I think when we keep it we got to keep it in some sort of context in that most not most of the move, about half the move was from October, which did correspond with the Fed's pivot, uh, well, during that time. So when we started, we still got to come to grips with the fact that the stock market wants easy money. Did I get 2023 wrong? Yeah, I'd say I got it wrong. I got some things right, though, as we argued about last time I was on with gold and Bitcoin. I do think that what I'm worried about is these longer-duration uh, auctions over the last two months that have all gone very, very poorly. To me, that suggests that there's more easy money to come when the Fed has to come in and reinstate QE, which I think will happen in 2024. And that, unfortunately, is, is bullish stocks. It's, it's, you know, weaker dollar bullish stocks. So I do think there might be one plunge in the stock market before the Fed comes in and says, yeah, no, we're, we're going to start easy money policies now. But I think 2024 could be fine for stocks. You know, Nancy, um, I know you were taking on more risk uh, towards the back end of the year. And I appreciate that. It's a good call. Um, part of this uh, lower interest rates, certainly, as Jim said, in the last couple of months, but also a stronger than expected economy and a stronger than expected profits outlook. Profits are the mother's milk of stocks. I still think that was a major theme in this year-end rally. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I mean, I think for context, let's remember over the last two years, the S&P is only up about 3%. And forgive my manners. Happy New Year, Jim. Happy New Year, Larry. Good Happy to be on the show. Happy New Year. Um, so I think, you know, I think one of the things you have to think about is we were adding risk in the fall of 2022 and then again in 23. And the reason for that is because we expect that the economy will slow. We probably all agree on that. Uh, and that means you want to own reliable growers. And in fact, the sectors that we added to were technology and growth in 20, I'm sorry, technology and consumer discretionary in 2022. And now we've rounded out with more industrials. But the market is not terribly expensive. If you look at it, XFANG, it's trading at 15.3 times. If you add FANG back in, it's 17.1 times. So you don't even really need multiple expansion 
uh, to, to generate pretty decent returns, as Jim has pointed out, next year. Um, I, re- I wrote a bunch of pieces starting in the summer that this market is analogous to the 1990s. And there are so many similarities. Most portfolio managers weren't alive in the 90s, let alone running money. We all were there. Um, but what you see is, you know, you had inflation above 3% on average for the decade. You had interest rates between 5 and 7% on the 10-year. You had an inverted yield curve, a soft landing, uh, a Fed that hiked, as we all know. And uh, you also had a war and um, productivity growth due to labor shortage. And that's what I think we're, we're going to see. We're going to continue to see you know, productivity really surprised to the upside. And I'm hoping a Fed that will take a back seat. And last thing I'll say, because I want to hear what Jim has to say, but I love this quote. I'd forgotten about it, but it was from Alan Greenspan. And oh, how I long for the days. He said, I know you think you understand what you thought I said, but I'm not <laughs> sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. <laughs> well, how about, get a little more about- <laughs> how about the other thing he said about the market is irrationally exuberant? Yeah. Yeah, I, don't know, I don't know whether that plays into this or not. What was the statue used uh, the last two years, the S&P's 3% gain? Yeah, right? return 3%. Yep, cumulative. So, so that's actually not a fabulous number. <laughs> no. It's the only non-fabulous number. But, but so if you're going to look at fabulous numbers, I'm looking in the S&P, Nancy, and Jim. Uh, Infotech, 56% up. Telecoms, 54%. You have to explain that to me. Consumer discretionary, 41%. You have to explain that to me, too, with sinking real wages. Is that all debt? Consumer this consumer discretionary? That's a big, big gain. Let me look at it's another Amazon. one. Amazon. Oh, okay. Yeah, retail, retailers up 41%. The Sox index... Chips are up 65%. And here's one, home builders up 72%. Really? I didn't think it was such a great year for housing. <laughs> you want me to take that? Because I got that. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Okay, Happy, New-, the Happy New Year. It was just amazing. Because the, the rapidity of mortgage rates going from 2.5% to 7% ended up having the opposite effect what they wanted to. Instead of bringing down demand in houses, what it made is people hold on to their mortgages like grim death and choked the supply. It was a very interesting anomaly that happened. I, I, I think it's fascinating. I do want to point out one thing that Nancy said, which I think is brilliant. And again, if you go back to 1980 when we had that stagflation situation, Paul Volcker deserves credit. Ronald Reagan and Larry Kudlow deserve credit. But one of the main things that happened, too, was the advent of the Internet made productivity leaps and bounds starting in about the mid-'80s. Now, to Nancy's point, is she saying, are you saying that AI could be one of the next big uh, productivity drivers that could keep inflation somewhat lower? Is that what you meant, Nancy? I think it's that. It's the digitization, say that at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m., mm-hmm. um, of old economy companies. And that's been our investing theme, Jim and Larry, is that we've been investing in old economy companies that are embracing the digital revolution, generative AI, cloud computing. And if you just look at the difference in terms, check Walmart versus Kohl's over the last five years, Walmart's up 80%, Kohl's is down 57 or McDonald's versus Wendy's. Wendy's is up 72. Wendy's, uh, I'm sorry, McDonald's is up 72. Wendy's is down 24. So it doesn't have to be, your portfolio does not have to be only technology stocks, but we are overweight, the group, and we do think that 
the total addressable market for generative AI, which is already being monetized, is is massive and will grow. I mean, go go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to add that's the Kathy Wood theory. I mean, I did a panel with Kathy, I don't know, three weeks ago, something like that. The application of AI, you know, and, and related quantum computing advances is going to be terrific for uh, productivity, not unlike the information revolution of the 80s and 90s. That may be at play here. I don't know. Which is more important, lower interest rates? I mean, Jim Urio, will interest rates keep falling? Uh, I don't think on the long end they will. I think I what I think happens is you you saw the Fed, the Treasury when they announced their refunding about six weeks ago, and everything was more centered on the short end of the curve. That means to me that they're kind of scared of the demand long end of the curve. And as soon as they zap that liquidity in the short end, they have to start walking out. They walked out to seven years this week, and the, the I give that auction a D minus. So I think they if they don't change their ways. Mm-hmm. And start spending less the government, then they could then uh, long end rates could go significantly higher. That's when I think the Fed's going to step back in and start QE again, and then just the dollar goes lower. So that's transferring pain from one area to another. So I, I do think the curve is going to steepen, which is funny to call it steepening, was just returning back to flat. Um, yeah, and I'm long a steepener, and I think that's what's going to happen on the long end. Well, it's a pretty steeply inverted curve right now, is yeah. it not? Mm-hmm. I'm looking yeah, at the three. It's been, and it's been inverted for 18 months. It's right. a long time. So to, for that to not have a recession come after that, I think would be astounding and unreasonable to think. I think there is going to be a recession. Well, that's the thing. Um, everyone's very euphoric about a soft landing, Nancy. Uh, two, two stats. They're both models. One is the New York Fed inverted curve which is predicting, I think, about a 55% recession chance, down from 65%. And the other one is the 20 straight months of falling leading economic indicators. I don't know if those models still work, but they're still out there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, um, I don't know if we're going to get a hard, soft, or no landing. I'm not making my investment decisions based on that. I think what Jim say, says makes a lot of sense. The one stat I'll point out, and it's it, you're going to ridicule me, but you know the ISM numbers are still in contraction, the manufacturing yep. numbers. Yep. But this last month, we saw the Chicago PMI it broke out of a 14 um, straight month period of contraction. So I, I don't know if that's a one-off or if we are starting to see um, some strength in because remember a lot of the money that has been earmarked through the infrastructure bill, the chips. Bill, it, it hasn't been spent, and it's not expected to hit peak spending until 2026. So, mm. you know, we, we increased our exposure to, to the industrials in the summer, and we will continue to add as we see fit. But we've also been adding to financials, which I can't say we've done in 10 years. So <laughs> there's a lot of conflicting pieces of data out there. That, that is all I can say. So we're trying to pick great companies um, that will add value, and that, that has worked for us. All right. New Year's weekend. Nancy Tangler, CEO and uh, Chief Investment Officer of Laffer Tangler. Her book is The Women's Guide to Successful Investing. Jim Urio, Director of TJM Institutional Services. His book is just everything. By the way, how are the restaurants doing? <laughs> New Year's weekend. Restaurants. Changing, it's changing quite a bit in the restaurant business. One of my good friends in the business announced he's closing after being oh. in business for 18 years. A successful place. Even our foot traffic which has remained somewhat the same, people are making different decisions and spending less. 
I think we're seeing a, a big change. Our restaurant's going to be fine. We're, we're at a price point that's good, but I think a lot of small family-owned restaurants are going to be going out of business in the next year and a half. I hate to be so glum, but... But, that's uh, all right. That's Tangler, I mean. Urio, Cudlow, Happy New Year. We'll be right back with a peer into, 19, into 2024. <laughs> Stay with us. This is the Larry Cudlow Show. Now, back to the Larry Cudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. A New Year's look at the stock market. After a much better than expected 2023, we are here with Nancy Tangler of uh, Laffer Tangler Investments, and her book is The Women's Guide to Successful Investing. And we are here with Jim Urio, Director of TJM Institutional Services. Jim Urio, I know it's early. Favorite picks for 24? Nancy just mentioned financials, which I I think is interesting, and uh, particularly if I think the the curve is going to steepen like I think it is. So I like that. Now, I like you're going to hate this, but I still like gold and Bitcoin, and particularly the latter, which my investment thesis on that is just anything that BlackRock gets into, I follow them because they're our overlords. So I still like <laughs> those things, too. And particularly, it, fall, it falls in with my thesis, too, that I do think there's going to be quantitative easing again sometime in 2024 to keep long-end rates from going that much higher. And I think it'll weaken the dollar and things like that will do well. So, you know, oil, I'm still neutral to slightly bullish on, but it needs to prove some things to me. And the world central banks have to all kind of do the same thing and start pouring money in for oil to start to, to really rally again. But I do think over the next three years, oil's the pick, just maybe not in the next six months. I'm trying to figure out uh, if the inflation rate is running around three and the growth rate is running around two, why the Fed has to take aggressive easing actions, Nancy Tangler. I'm just trying to figure, unless you're you know, very cynical and you'll say, as some have said, uh, it's a Democratic-leaning Fed and they want to juice the economy for Joe Biden. But I think, um, well, I don't want to defend the Fed, but I think that does them a disservice. I mean, 3% inflation, 2% growth, you have to ease it. Three times, six times, seven times? Really? I don't get that. Well, the good news, Larry, is that they've been 100% wrong every time they've said just about anything. So <laughs> right. I, I think I'm, I'm paying more attention. Right. <laughs> Happy New Year. Right. <laughs> I'm focused more on what the market thinks. And, you know, it just blows. That's why I wrote this piece recently called Somebody Isn't Thinking. It's a portion of an old General Patton quote. But, you know, just re- replay every meeting. They they vote unanimously. Mm. Then the chairman comes out and says something. And then a bunch of governors come out and push back and say something else. So it doesn't feel like a cohesive, strategic, especially, you know, focus, especially when you're using data that looks backwards. So. I don't know why he said two weeks before he said we are open to cutting or we're talking about it. I don't know why he said lo- lo- higher for longer. I mean, that's been, but that's been the theme of this Fed. But I agree. You're right. I don't think you need to see the Fed aggressively ease. I mean, I think they're going to, you know, stocks are going to have to do it the hard way. They're going to have to grind out profits. I still that's think right. that's going to be the absolute key. Uh, these productivity advances may pan out or maybe not 
I don't know. We'll keep a optimistic New Year's keep the faith approach. <laughs> Nancy Tengler and Jim Urio. I'm Kudlow. Money and politics on the other side of the break with Liz Peek and with Steve Moore. We're going to talk about underrated and overrated presidents. There's a fun topic. I'm Kudlow. Happy New Year. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, money and politics. Here comes Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist. And here comes Steve Moore, Freedom Works and Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline and WABC radio host. More money. So Happy New Year, kids. Here we are, working New Year's weekend. I want to I want to do this um I want to do your underrated overrated. I didn't even have a chance. You only gave me 5 hours. To, I didn't even get it done. But whatever. Um I have some disagreements. Well, Larry, so Larry, let's hear your choices then. Well, I will tell you um I believe uh in terms of the underrated. Yep. All right, Coolidge is underrated. Trump is underrated. Reagan, yep. I mean, Reagan is rated so highly. Uh, I know. Uh, now, it wasn't yeah. always that way. Well, that's right. true, but here yep. we are. But there's two names that you missed, underrated. Okay. George Washington. George Washington yep. invented the country. Come on. And the second one is Abe Lincoln. Who saved yep. the country? I mean, where are their names on here? I don't. Well, I so couldn't find them. I think you. So I make a, you're making a good point. By the way, just by way of background, we did this poll of about 150 kind of conservative thought leaders uh, of who's the most overrated and underrated, uh, you know, person in that uh, in in history in terms of the U.S. And we did this, by the way, Larry. Just by way of background. Because if you look at the historians who do these polls every yeah. three or four years, I mean, they always rank FDR and Woodrow Wilson. And anyone who expanded the size of government is always rated very highly by historians. And so we, we ask conservatives. And by the way, you nailed it. The three that were rated the most underrated were Reagan, Coolidge, and Trump. And mm. Trump. Now, there were a number of people who did put Lincoln and Washington on the list. I think the reason that more people didn't is because everybody knows that George Washington, the father of our country, is the greatest American. And so I think that's but but you're saying you think he's underrated. I do. I do. Yeah. I don't think near enough attention is yeah. paid to all the remarkable things that George Washington did, yeah. comma, for the yep. first time. <laughs> Do you right. see what I'm saying? I mean, that's the amazing thing. He just did this stuff, uh, and it was pretty heavy duty. The other one is Abe Lincoln. I mean, uh -huh. I some conservatives felt Lincoln exercised too much government power uh, during the Civil War, but I have to tell you, I don't care. The guy had to hold the country together. The country wasn't that old. I mean, the country was what, 75 mm -hmm. years old at that point. Right, and right. you could have ended, you could have dissolved the country. And also freeing the slaves 
uh, Nikki Haley uh-huh. notwithstanding, freeing <laughs> right. the slaves was a very important thing. I mean, right. a very, very, now it may have taken another 100 years and we maybe haven't finished the task, although I, I don't buy all this racism stuff, obviously. But the point is, Lincoln was a great president. He was uh-huh. a great, great president. I mean, we needed a Lincoln. We just did. So anyway, that's my opening. Now, Liz, I want you to chime in, then we can go some back and forth. <laughs> well, I, I particularly like the idea that everyone agreed. I, I assume it was nearly universal that Barack Obama is the most overrated um, <laughs> yeah, president in history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, almost everybody you know, said Barack Obama. Yeah, I must say, when you really think about what was my husband and I actually weirdly over dinner, we're talking about this last night. What did he achieve? Well, Obamacare. I mean, that now is, you know, something that is living amongst us. And unfortunately, I don't think it's a great success since we still have tens of millions of people who are not covered by medical insurance. And because it uh, drove insurance rates through the roof, et cetera, et cetera, actually delivered a very health care more affordable. (laughs) I was going to say it it really delivered a terrible product. But nonetheless, I guess you could say that was an accomplishment. But the guy got a Nobel Peace Prize. Remember? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Before he had before he had blinked in office. So I must say, I find the whole legacy of Barack Obama extremely uh, sort of unsettling because it really reminds me of how dominant and domineering the liberal media is. And I honestly, I don't know how you get around that, uh, but that's who writes history these days. Well, you know, I, I, Liz, look, can I just add something to that? Uh, because I think Obama is an interesting <clears throat> character. And the tragedy of Barack Obama's presidency, in my opinion, is, you know, it was a great moment. We had our first black president. Yeah. And I think all Americans were so excited about that. And Larry, he could have really, you know, brought the country together, you know, and, and put sort of the racism behind. But what did he really do for black America? He didn't, Nothing. you know, why, Nothing. he didn't support school choice. You know, he didn't, he didn't, you know, he, he played the victimhood. Uh, Sub mediocre economy. He didn't help their living yeah. standards at all. Oh, mediocre at best. Yeah. By the way, yeah. I, I just wanted to ask you, this is uh, maybe a technical issue. How can Joe Biden be overrated? He's a, he's a 20, he's a 25, he's, he's on the, you've got him on the overrated list. He's fifth. I mean, and then John F. Kennedy, by the way, who cut taxes, as we've often observed, uh, John F. Kennedy was a much better president, uh, than this poll suggests. Yeah, I I mean, I, I'm a Kennedy, I'm a JFK fan and I was surprised that, you know, we had a number of people who rated him as, uh, overrated you know the thing about kennedy i mean you and i've talked about this before larry he reminds me so much of reagan you know in the sense that they both had great senses of humor the way they dealt with the media Mm. and uh look the guy was he he served our country uh Mm -hmm. he was a cold warrior Mm -hmm. he was a free trader he took on the unions now i don't agree with everything they did i think you know exactly a great great by the way he was pro-life he was pro-life. Yeah. He was pro-life. By the way, he went he to mass most today. Sundays. John Kennedy would be a Republican yes. today. Yes. Um, one other nit to pick, um, Franklin Roosevelt. Now, I know uh, conservatives don't like Roosevelt because of his economic policies. I get that. Uh, on the other hand, he did pilot us through World War II. He did, And I, yeah. and I think he's got to get some better credit than that. I don't like his 
you know, Keynesian, although his Keynesian policies were pretty mild by today's standards. But putting yeah, but, that aside, he was a taxer, he, he was an over-regulator, but he did get us, you know, he waited, he waited, then he pulled the trigger on the war and he appointed very good generals and yep. you gotta say they ran a good war. You yeah, but it's important, Larry, I mean, it's important for posterity, to, for people to understand that the that the New Deal was a disaster. It did not yeah, end the depression. It actually, it, it elongated the recession. And, you know, you had higher taxes and more government spending, and all of that actually made the, made what could have been just a, you know, one or two-year financial crisis turned into a 10-year depression. Mm. Yeah, and, By so, the way, and, and he invented along the way large government involvement in all kinds of exactly. things that they shouldn't be involved in. So I yeah. think... I think more than anybody, FDR really bent the arc of free enterprise and a competitive capitalist system in a very unhealthy way. And we're still living with that. And may I add one more thing? That when you talk about JFK bucking the unions, the tragedy of Obama is that he knew what should be done. He's smart enough right. to know, for example, yeah. on education, that the yep. school choice. Remember, he put in Arne Duncan as... Uh, Secretary of Education, Arne Duncan, had really uh, furthered the cause of school reform in Chicago. That was a brave thing to do. But then the minute the teachers' unions hinted they might not support him in 2012 re-election, yeah. he caved. Yeah. And, and I honestly, that is his legacy to me. Not standing way, up for what is right and what he knew should be done. I have another nit to pick. Ranking of underrated political figures Jesus only got two. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Coolidge, Coolidge got 29. Trump got 22. <laughs> Jesus got two. I, I, I would move Jesus up. I mean, just okay. on, on general grounds. I'm going to put you down as a Jesus guy. For this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, that, and, I wanted to mention one other uh, president, if I could. This is a fascinating conversation. I mean, I happen to think that the worst president in American history was Woodrow Wilson. I mean, Wilson was the one who got us into World War One, and I don't believe we should have been in World War One. His policies, he gave us. I don't know, Liz, you're right that, you know, um, FDR certainly expanded government, but it was the progressive era that created the whole regulatory state. Um, he's the one who gave us the income tax. Remember, it, it passed mm -hmm. uh, when mm -hmm. he was president. And I think he's holy, holy. And by the way, he was a he was a screaming racist. Yes, he was. Yeah. By the way, um, I have another one, Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, not only did Ulysses S. Grant mm -hmm. do his darndest uh, to implement the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments yep. of the Constitution through Reconstruction, he also put the dollar, relinked the dollar to gold yes. and brought the lawsuits that ended the yep. Civil War income tax. So he was a tax cutter and he was sound. I, I give U.S. Grant a little more. Um, I agree with you. I, I think he was a great president and he was a great general. I thought, Steve, you'd give Grover Cleveland more. He was a spending oh, was cutter a and a free trader. Yeah. And you know what Grover Cleveland did? He vetoed a thousand bills. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I like that, man. Grover. Although he I was got a Democrat. You. Did you know that, Larry? Grover Cleveland was a Democrat. Oh, yes, I knew he was a Democrat. <laughs> he had an illegitimate kid. Nobody cared. Yeah. Just saying. Um, Pope John Paul II, I might move him up the ranks, too, although yeah, I'd, still keep him, 
I'd still keep him underneath uh, underneath Jesus. I see William McKinley, too. I don't know where that came from. Anyway, it's always interesting. Um, how about uh, over and under for the current uh, political situation? Liz Peake? Well, 24. you mean who's overrated and who's underrated? It's time to forecast, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, in terms of not getting away from presidents, I think you could say Kevin McCarthy was underrated. Uh, yeah, I agree. I'm feeling nostalgic for Kevin McCarthy at this point. I like Mike Johnson. I think he's actually doing a pretty good job keeping his head above water. But, uh, yikes, what a what a difficult road to hoe. Um, Nancy Pelosi, where do we put her? Uh, so you she know, was, as far as, you know, pretty powerful. Oh, sorry woman, to interrupt, right? but, you know, it's interesting about Pelosi is that, you know, she was – but given what she wanted to do, she was an extremely yeah. effective. Yeah, yeah. she <laughs> really was. I mean, yeah. yeah. And so uh, I agree, you know, Steve. People... And I think when you look at Hakeem Jeffries, you know, and all of his completely idiotic utterances and just sort of relating all the party claptrap, he is so uninspiring and so diminished by comparison uh, to Nancy Pelosi. Uh, The other one, by the way, that was an interesting modern person who was on that list was Rand Paul, Larry. Rand Paul got four or five votes. Really? uh, I didn't see any Rand. I didn't didn't see the Rand Paul stuff. Yeah. I like Rand Paul. I think he actually has taken on some very admirable uh, causes, probably too big a word, but arguments in any case, and has really made his case very effectively, particularly on matters related to health, he is a doctor after all, which people kind of ignore. Uh, but during COVID, I thought he was very forceful in bucking the whole censor establishment, right. uh, uh, you know, kind of um, basically uh, protest against anything that was not approved by Dr. Fauci. Here's one. <laughs> I just discovered this. I'm, I'm leafing through the back pages of this. Che Guevara yeah. got three votes. Was overrated. Yeah, yeah I'd say yeah. he was pretty overrated. Yeah, <laughs> so three votes for communism. How about Bill Clinton, Steve Moore? Oh, so you know, Bill he had Clinton a good second was, term. Yeah, he was rated um, as one of the more underrated uh, presidents. And I, by the way, I was one of the people who voted for him as underrated because look, he gave us four balanced budgets. He cut a, he cut the capital gains tax. He uh, did the welfare reforms. Um, you know, we could use a Democrat like that, Larry. Yeah, we yeah. could. There aren't any left. I mean, there isn't aren't. it amazing? He did all that because he knew he had to pivot to right. win re-election. That's and right. this clown, Joe Biden, has <laughs> no sense do it. at all that he needs to pivot. I mean, <laughs> and he's not, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know if you want to talk about the border, Larry, because I don't, talk you guys, it. I mean, everybody <laughs> is going crazy over what's happening at the southern border. And Joe Biden, what does he do? He sends down the B team uh, <laughs> yeah. to talk to the president of Mexico, and they come back with exactly nothing. This nothing is our right. secretary of state and homeland security. And they can't uh, get any concessions out of Obrador yep. at all. It's pretty extraordinary. <laughs> you know, I lived through a period where we couldn't get any concessions out of Obrador until we did. And yeah, his right. name was Trump. And right. Trump right. just very calmly said, okay, fine. I'm going to jack up your tariffs on autos yep. and manufacturing so much. I'm going to bankrupt your country. And guess what? All of a sudden, Obrador decided yeah. to play. 
and guard the border or help us guard yep. the border. I mean, yep. there you, you go. Know, if you wanted to do one of those cloud word things about Joe Biden, I think the word is weak. I think we are yeah. the weakness of this president and this administration mm-hmm. has translated into two wars mm-hmm. raging and one that yep. could really and truly spiral out of control. Yep. Uh, a Congress that has little, yep. almost no communication. He doesn't even talk to Congress about things that yep. are actually are important, like uh, passing a budget or staving yeah. off a government shutdown. I mean, what is, honestly, I, I, words fail me in discussing yeah. Joe Biden's overratedness because yeah. he, he, oh, what a how about disaster. A, how about a word is. cloud, how about a word cloud for um, Donald Trump? Well, uh, I think you'd have I to say one. strong. Yes. Okay. Tough, tough Effective. and strong. Yeah. Tough is tough good. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, that's it. All right, Steve Moore, you're off to catch your plane. Happy New Year. <laughs> Liz, hang out with me for a couple more minutes, love. You bet. I'm I'm Kudlow, Liz Peak, Steve Moore. Happy New Year, folks. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Happy New Year weekend, folks. We're still here. Talking money and politics with Liz Peak, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist. Liz, um, last couple moments, uh, we were talking at the very beginning of the show with Simone and Concha. If Biden's out, Donald Trump gave an interview to um, Breitbart, said that there's no way, there's no way that uh, Joe Biden's going to run. There's no way Kamala Harris is going to run. I didn't know if you had a list of people that would take their place. If uh, Biden decides not to do it. <laughs> well, I actually wrote a column recently about how feeble the list is. I mean, yeah. I think that's one of the problems Democrats have. Gavin Newsom was supposed to be the great hope, you know, for the Democratic Party. And then he performed so badly mm. head to head debating Ron DeSantis on Sean Hannity's Fox News show. Mm. I, I, I was stunned. I, I couldn't believe that he was so condescending and smug and sort of personally unappealing, but also that he had no facts to come with. And by the way, Florida's, I mean, uh, California's craziness just gets worse and worse. This latest thing where they're going to give free uh, medical care to every uh, illegal in the, in the state, that is just an opening of the door wider. Don't they get it that all Mm. these enticements make things worse? He has a $68 billion budget deficit to deal with. Mm. Adding two or three more billions for that? How stupid can you be? All right, so Gretchen Whitmer uh, seems to be a, quite a successful governor, quite popular in Michigan, uh, and yet nobody's heard of her. So mm. when they do, you know, these kind of supposed head-to-head with Trump or somebody, 45% of Democrats say they really don't know enough about her to weigh in. Uh, so, I, I mean, I'm just wondering if it isn't Biden and uh, Kamala Harris, and I think Democrats would be thrilled if that were not the case, where are they going to go? You know, I was thinking if they had primaries, and I don't know that they will, it could all be done at the convention replacing Biden yeah. and Harris. But if they had primaries, um, I thought that uh, Elizabeth Warren would be a stronger candidate. She ran the last time in 2020. I mean, obviously, I don't agree with her socialist views, but she's very smart. And I just wonder whether she isn't a dark horse in all this. 
very smart. She's almost the same age as Hillary Clinton, which puts her not too far behind Joe Biden. So oh, I didn't know that. Yet, I did not know uh-huh. that. She she is not uh, a young. She has much more vitality, obviously, and forcefulness than Joe Biden. But she's not a spring chicken. So if you're looking for a um, you know handing mm. off of the baton, uh, you have to check. Out. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. I don't think mm. it's Elizabeth Warren. I mean, I do think uh, the Democrats need to look to the next generation. Uh, that I think would be helpful. One of the big problems Joe Biden has right now is with young voters. Uh, and they're trying to sort of square that circle by saying, oh, you know, it's not Joe. <laughs> I don't mm. know what I mean. Honestly, I don't know how you get around that. It's a real problem for them. All right. um, so I don't know. I mean, Peake, you do yeoman's work. You always do. Thank you very much for everything you've done in 23. I look forward to a great 24 to our Me listeners too. out there. Thank you for staying with us. Happy New Year's weekend, everybody. Keep the faith. Keep optimism. This is the greatest country in the history of history. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back next weekend.